Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Finding Dad Bod, where my dad... Coach Alex Van Houten puts his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. He's pretty beast mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. I hope you're doing super well. You are listening to Season 3, Episode 43 of Defining Dad Bod, where we're talking about living well with ADHD. This episode's been brought to you by the Better Daily app. If you're a person who believes in progress, not perfection, and you're willing to work hard every day to become 1% better, then don't do it alone. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily and get your screen time working for your goals rather than against them. That's definingdadbod.com slash better daily. And while you're checking out, click the code tab in the top right of the checkout screen and enter DADBOD, all caps, D-A-D-B-O-D, to save 25% on your subscription. That's definingdadbod.com slash better daily. Use code DADBOD, all caps, D-A-D-B-O-D, to save 25% on your subscription. We're in the middle of an amazing Faithful 40 Challenge right now, and we'd love to have you. Go to definingdadbod.com slash better daily today. Today's show is a super informative and practical show for anybody who's been diagnosed with or identifies with the symptoms of attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. We'll be exploring what the symptoms actually are, what they mean, and whether or not there's a positive health and fitness approach that can be used in order to live well with it. Spoiler alert, yes there is, and I'm excited to dive into the science with you. Let's talk about making the most out of the symptoms of ADHD. First, a regaling Alex story. I remember when I was five years old. I was a very rambunctious and energetic kid. I really never stopped moving. And you can reach out to my mom to corroborate this story because she had to deal with me every day. It was like my mind was on fire. It was always buzzing and moving from one thing to the next. And if one activity proved boring or ineffectual, I moved on to another. I was always asking why. And although I didn't know it at the time, I was probably driving the adults in my life, primarily my mom, a little bit crazy. And I remember one such time where my mom was trying to have a conversation with the neighbor lady, and I kept interrupting. And so she brought us outside on the porch, 
continuing her conversation, and said, Hey, Al, how fast do you think you can run around this house? We lived in an apartment complex at the time, so the building was kind of big. But I got excited at the idea of the challenge, and something in her tone of voice said that this would be a lot of fun. And I was like, I don't know, but I'm super fast. And she said, great, give it a shot. And boom, I took off. Zooming around the house, I can still see the bush that matched each corner, and how I slipped and slid as I tried to turn left as fast as possible to get back around and get the best time. I came zooming around the final corner, and she said, 37, 38... 39, wow, 40 seconds, Alex. Can you beat that? Yeah, I can, Mom. Ready, set, go. And I took off again. I must have done this 10 or so times, and honestly, I can't tell you if I actually ran around the apartment building in 40 seconds or if my mom was just making it up. But either way, she got some uninterrupted time to talk to the neighbor gal, and I wore myself out. We went inside after that, had a sip of water and got a snack, and I'm sure had a great rest of the day. I couldn't tell you how that affected my attention or my mood at the time as a child. Children don't think about things like that. But I remembered that about 15 years later, when I was in charge of the Camp Vandy counselors for children ages 5 to 12. We had 200 kids in our sports camp, and I remember a particularly rambunctious kid who came in with his parents at 8 a.m. on day one. His name was Mike. He had blonde hair that bounced around when he jumped, and he did a lot of jumping, sitting there buzzing with the same kind of energy I remembered having as a five-year-old. His parents looked a little bit tired and a lot a bit frazzled as they took me to the side to explain that he'd been having a lot of trouble in school and that they were working with a doctor to find the right medication for him right now. They wanted to know if we would keep them informed about any trouble we had with him today and to pay special attention to his needs. They seemed pretty apologetic. And so, as the counselor's manager, I kept a special eye on Mike for the next two hours. And sure enough, he whacked a little girl with a jump rope on accident because he wasn't watching what he was doing during active time, slammed into another little boy while playing tag, and when it was time to transition stations, went running down the hall away from his teacher because he wanted to race the whole class to the next classroom and beat everybody. After about two hours, his counselor had had enough and asked if I would take him off their hands for a while. Honestly, I couldn't help but see myself in this little boy. And I remember the positive way that my mom dealt with my energy when I was five. So I said, hey, Mike, have you ever run a mile before? And he's bouncing in place. Well, no, no, I haven't. And I said, the world record is four minutes and 27 seconds. Do you think we can beat that together? And you know, kids. They don't know any better. He said, yeah, let's go do it. So I took him out back behind the Vanderbilt Recreation Center with a couple other of my troublemakers who needed a little extra attention. And we set off to run our timed mile. Eight minutes later, we hadn't beaten the world record, but he was out of breath, sweating, and happy that he'd finished his mile. When I brought him back inside and gave him back to his camp counselor, and then followed up later to see how he'd done the rest of the day, she said it was like night and day. He was a brand new kid, doing what he was told, excelling in his crafts, and generally playing well with the other kids who he had earlier slammed into and slapped with a jump rope. It was like things had come full circle. Did Mike have ADHD? Did I have ADHD at age five? Was running around the house, or running a mile outside, all that was needed to make us focus well? These are all great questions, and all extremely important, as we talk today about exercise in the brain, part three. And since currently 11% of U.S. children are diagnosed with ADHD, and 4% of adults also carry that diagnosis, it's an important medical question for the general population to answer, and even more near and dear to the hearts of those of us who have trouble regulating our attention, getting irritable at our own impulsivity, and generally feeling inadequate at utilizing our gifts to their fullest potential. 
First, what is ADHD? ADHD, according to the DSM-5, is Attention Deficit and Hyperactive Disorder. It's primarily characterized by symptoms of inattention, distractibility, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. Since 2004, diagnosis of ADHD has gone from 3% of the population of children ages 4 to 17 to 11% of the population. That's just over 1 in 10. And in the adult population, 4% of adults are currently diagnosed with ADHD. If the symptoms I just read out to you seem to describe a normal child in your mind, you're not alone. There's actually an entire group of people who believe that the diagnosis of ADHD is actually a conspiracy by pharmaceutical companies to sell more Ritalin and Adderall. And while I'm usually the first person to err on the side of arguing against big pharmaceutical companies in order to medicate or regulate something that we might be able to fix naturally, see my work on hormones for some evidence of that. Upon diving into the actual research of ADHD, I'm inclined to disagree with the conspiracy theory. It turns out that the brains of those diagnosed with attention deficit and hyperactive disorder actually seem to be wired differently in a number of areas and have different neurotransmitter relationships than those who don't suffer the symptoms of ADHD on a regular basis. An extensive review of the cognitive neuroscience of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in the last 30 years had this to say, and get ready for some science speak. Cognitive deficits in ADHD extend beyond executive functioning to include spatial, temporal, and lower-level non-executive functions. Atypical functional anatomy extends beyond frontostriatal circuits to include posterior cortices, limbic regions, and the cerebellum. Pathophysiology includes dopaminergic as well as noradrenergic neurotransmitter systems, brain stems, reward centers, limbic systems, and cortex and cerebellum. What that means is, when you do actual studies on the brains, behaviors, and even the neurotransmitters of those diagnosed with ADHD versus those who don't report symptoms of impulsivity, distractibility, inattention, and hyperactivity, you find real structural, chemical, and behavioral differences between the two groups. In addition, a number of possible origins have been implicated in such symptoms. For instance, there's evidence that if somebody in your family's been diagnosed with ADHD, you are much more likely to report having similar symptoms, which suggests a genetic component. Other factors such as premature birth and maternal use of alcohol or nicotine during pregnancy are also correlated with an increased ADHD diagnosis. There are also other studies that suggest different origins of ADHD, like Yacpainsep's work on juvenile rats, who, when they are limited from rough-and-tumble play, begin to exhibit symptoms of ADHD and can be treated effectively with Ritalin and Adderall. And there are even others in the field of study who have implicated things like food sensitivities, gut dysbiosis, or even the prevalence in growing technologies, screen times, and the fast-paced world we live in today, contributing to the increased prevalence of ADHD diagnosis. Whatever the origin of ADHD is, it's very clear that the brains of those who regularly experience distractibility, inattention, impulsivity, and hyperactivity differ from those who don't. In fact, one young successful Cambridge student diagnosed with ADHD liked to call his ADHD attention-different hyperactive disorder. And while the possibility remains that perhaps people are a little too fast to make a diagnosis and throw legal amphetamines at the problem, the question I'd like to answer today is whether exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle could play a role in affecting the brain positive for those of us who might identify with the diagnosis attention different in hyperactive disorder. 
How can we live more positively and more productively? Are there ways that we can consciously make a choice about how we're going to regulate our exercise and how we're going to regulate our nutrition and our lifestyle to make the most out of the gifts that we've been given? And if possible, can we reduce or even avoid the side effects of drugs like Adderall and Ritalin that include dizziness, restlessness, headaches, stomach aches, trouble sleeping, dry mouth, and in extreme cases where amphetamines are used by individuals predisposed to higher blood pressure situations, intracerebral hemorrhages, or brain bleeds, a side effect of Adderall and Ritalin that has been on the rise in young adults who are consuming those drugs in order to mitigate the inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity they've experienced? I think the answer is yes. I think based on what I've found from the research perspective and what I've found in my own and many clients' lives that I've worked with in the past is that exercise can have a profound positive effect on those who experience the symptoms associated with ADHD. Similarly, there are some other promising interventions that I want to make sure to mention today that could result in a better life and a greater unleashing of a more conscious, more energetic, and more fulfilled version of yourself and your kids. First, let's talk about exercise. Does exercise help the symptoms associated with ADHD? The answer is a resounding yes. First up is the evidence that school districts who increase their recess time also see a subsequent increase in grades. One school district in Texas actually increased the amount of recess time to three 45-minute sessions per day. You'd think that more time spent playing on the playground would actually reduce grade performance in the school. I mean, there's only so much time in a week, right? This particular school district in Texas saw a significant improvement in performance on state tests as well as individual teacher-reported performances and grades. The take-home message seems to be that the more active children are, the better they do in school. Similarly, another study found that ADHD children who engaged in martial arts three days a week saw a self-reported decrease in symptoms and improved social interaction as reported by their parents and teachers. And even more acutely, adults with ADHD perform better at tasks of attention and cognitive focus following a bout of 30 minutes of high-intensity training. This is just a taste of some of the research done around exercise and ADHD. If you care to read through all of it, I'll paste the link in the description below for you. But the vast majority of research done correlating the reduction of ADHD symptoms with regard to pursuing exercise is loud and clear. Exercise helps inattention, impulsiveness, distractibility, and hyperactivity, both in children and young adults. How might that work? Well, one of the things that we've observed in the brains of those diagnosed with ADHD is a lower sensitivity to dopamine and norepinephrine. Those are two neurotransmitters that regulate attention in the reward centers of the brain. High-intensity exercise, especially of aerobic nature, increase a compound in the body called catecholamines. Catecholamines naturally increase the levels of dopamine and norepinephrine in the brain, and therefore, in the increased levels of dopamine and norepinephrine, allow those with ADHD to focus intently. Additionally, those with ADHD have been observed to have abnormal function in their cerebellum. The cerebellum is the center of the brain that controls motor function, and studies have shown that the maturity of the cells in the cerebellum regulate the ability to inhibit impulsive actions. In one study, children with ADHD were compared with children who weren't diagnosed with ADHD. The researchers asked them to perform a task with their right hand and then videoed the performance of that task. 
The researchers then counted how many times the children moved their left hand involuntarily in conjunction with the tasks they were asked to perform. For instance, please stack these blocks with your right hand. And then over the course of the few minutes, they counted the number of actions that they performed with their left hand involuntarily. What they found is that the children with ADHD performed three times or more actions with their left hand involuntarily while they were performing actions with their right hand voluntarily. And researchers concluded that there was a subconscious inability of those with ADHD to regulate the hyperactivity of the cerebellum. If you caught our episode on exercise in the brain part one, you know that engaging in exercise like resistance training or martial arts or yoga or gymnastics that require us to learn new skills can actually improve the density and maturity of the cerebellum. And it's thought that that positive feedback loop can help to curve or even improve over time the hyperactivity associated with ADHD. So in summary, exercise has a very positive effect on those suffering from the symptoms of ADHD. High-intensity exercise in males over 80% of their heart rate max and in females over 70% of their heart rate max has an acute effect on attention and distractibility. So if there's something you or your child need to attend to very specifically, it's important to get some high-intensity exercise prior. The closer, the better, as the effect seems to decrease over time. I recommend at least two to four bouts of 20 to 30 minutes each week of high-intensity exercise for the best effects. Remember, this is to acutely elevate catecholamines and get more dopamine and norepinephrine in the system so you can focus intently for the next few hours. Secondarily, two to four days per week is a great frequency to engage in resistance training or some sort of recreational skills-based exercise like martial arts, team soccer, ultimate frisbee, or my personal favorite, American Ninja Warrior training. This sort of exercise will help to increase the density and maturity of the neurons in the cerebellum, thereby improving focus, attention, and controllability of your hyperactivity in the long run. And as this research has come out in the past few years, many psychiatrists are coming around to this powerful way of supplementing their current ability to treat ADHD. In fact, in Dr. Rady's book, Spark, the Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain, he speaks specifically about how he uses exercise with his ADHD patients in order to improve the effectiveness of cognitive behavioral therapy and interventions like Ritalin and Adderall even to the point where he's able to reduce the medication significantly, if not altogether over time. So if you or somebody you know is suffering from inattention, impulsivity, hyperactivity, and or distractibility, it's time to use a combination of resistance training and high-intensity training to get those symptoms under control and improve over time. Well, exercise is all well and good, Alex, I can hear you saying. Are there other interventions that we can use to improve our focus and our attention? Well, heck yeah, I'm glad you asked. And every single one of these interventions could likely use their own one-hour show altogether. So I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. And if any of them jump out to you and you'd like me to spend more time on them, please shoot me an email at coachal at definingdadbod.com. First and most importantly for somebody who's struggling with the symptoms of ADHD is the power of a normal schedule. And by normal, I mean consistent and consciously planned out over time. Sleep is especially important here, that you go to bed at the same time every night and wake up at the same time every morning. No matter the psychiatric diagnosis, depression, anxiety, ADHD, etc., 
A regular sleep cycle is a huge part of overcoming many of the worst symptoms. In addition to the sleep benefits of a normal and consistent schedule, those of us who would relate to the symptoms of ADHD find it a very powerful practice to schedule very particular times of our day to ensure that we can capitalize on our ability to hyperfocus. For instance, if I say to myself, from the hours of 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., I'm just going to get a lot of work done. That's not a very effective strategy for me. But if I spend five minutes to prioritize the most important parts of my morning and say specifically from 7 to 8 a.m., I'm going to work on this thing, the thing that's the hardest but most important thing that I accomplished today. And then from 8 to 9, I'm going to work on this thing, the most important thing that I accomplished today. Then I'm going to take a break for 15 minutes and reward myself. And then I'm going to move on to the rest of the work that I'd like to do today. A consistent and structured schedule is a very important and powerful part of those of us who identify with ADHD to get productive things done. Because as much as we might be attention different, we also have the superpower of hyper-focusing when we find something really interesting or important. And so a consistent schedule can help us to make the most out of that superpower. The next most important thing you can do to curb your symptoms of ADHD, either for yourself or your kids, is to balance your blood sugar. Now, I have an entire show on the insulin system. That show is called Overcoming Obesity Part 2. And if you suspect that blood sugar is a problem for you, I highly suggest checking that episode out. But in short, reducing the amount of added sugars, increasing the soluble and insoluble fiber in your diet, and getting a steady amount of protein in your day can all be huge pieces of balancing your blood sugar, as well as getting 10,000 steps per day, staying well hydrated, and conditioning your body well through exercise. Balanced blood sugar avoids the highs and the lows that severely impede your ability to regulate your attention. If you want to help ADHD, balance your blood sugar. Third is a concept that I like to call modified meditation. Meditation has been shown in a number of studies to help our ability to control our own thoughts, or as the scientists like to say it, give executive functioning a greater swath in the brain itself. However, if you have ADHD or identify with these symptoms, you know that sitting all alone in a dark room is just a recipe for your mind to run wild. It's not actually helping your focus at all. And so for me, I've adopted this concept of modified meditation, embodying the spirit of activities that help me to focus on one item, emphasizing the application of activities that help me to focus my energy. My two favorites are a very light run and journaling. I really enjoy running as a form of exercise, but when I slow it way down and turn on some non-vocal music, I can exercise in those very low-intensity zones for 30 to 60 minutes, and I find that the movement and the music, coupled with the actual intent to focus my mind on a problem, allows me a much better experience of meditation than sitting alone in a dark room trying to empty my mind. Additionally, journaling has been a very powerful practice for me to organize my thoughts and to make headway on some problems I'd like to address. One difficulty my ADHD mind has with meditation is that I have nothing to show for it at the end of the hour. But when I journal through a specific thought or feeling, then at the end of an hour, I actually have some written words. I don't necessarily need to share that with anybody, but it's there, and I can feel good and productive about my focus. Personally, I like to devote some of my journaling time to my son. I have a Word document titled Gabriel on my desktop, and once or twice a week I like to open it up and share a memory with him, or talk through a problem with him. Since he's only three years old, someday I'd like to be able to share this with him, but he's far too young to understand some of the adult things that I'm wrestling with, and I find that quite the meditative practice as well. There are apps guided meditation videos on YouTube, and even groups you might be able to find locally that walk through prayer and meditation together. 
Whatever practical way you find that you're able to incorporate this in your own personal regimen, meditation has been shown to have a very profound effect on attention, impulsiveness, and distractibility. Another intervention is in the form of supplements. Now you know if you've been following my work for a while that I'm not a supplement junkie by any means, and that I highly encourage people to both check into and research the quality and effectiveness of supplements before you go taking just anything to relieve symptoms. But three supplements stood out to me in the research as likely being positively beneficial to those who identify with the symptoms of ADHD. A quality omega-3 fatty acid was found to be positively correlated with a reduction in these symptoms. L-theanine, an antioxidant often found in green tea, was also found to have a positive effect on attention and impulsivity. And then a fascinating herbal adaptogen called bacoba has been used since ancient times to relax the mind and improve one's focus on a singular object. The links to these supplements are in the description below. And if you're interested in reading more about them, you can search all of the relevant research at examine.com. The final two interventions are a little unconventional, but I'll share them with you anyway. First is the application or diffusing of essential oils. Vetiver, lavender, and cedarwood have all been studied to have positive effects on intention, impulsivity, and distractibility. One researcher even recommended that in classrooms where ADHD children were present, that vetiver and cedarwood should be diffused regularly with the possibility to improve grades. Now, obviously, I hope that more research is forthcoming because these are generally scant and unreliable from a double-blind perspective. But if the simple addition of some essential oils to a diffuser or even topically applied to the skin can reduce one's need to ingest stimulants or to ask your children to ingest stimulants, I think it's worth a shot. And the last intervention is something that I picked up from Jordan Peterson. He actually recommends it to everybody that he speaks with, whether you're diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder or not. And it's the exercise of regularly defining your individual heaven and your individual hell. Some might call this goal setting, but I think this particular practice is extremely important to those of us who identify with the symptoms of ADHD. One of the fascinating differences between the minds of those without ADHD and those with ADHD is that ADHD minds respond extremely powerfully to rewards and incentives. That is, if you were to tell me that the winner of this foot race gets chocolate cake at the end of it, that's going to have an extremely profound effect on my mind compared to somebody who doesn't struggle with ADHD symptoms. Chocolate cake, ho-hum, not a big deal. I mean, it's kind of good. Oh, well. And in my mind, it's chocolate cake. Oh my gosh, I'm going to run as fast as possible. Studies on the reward center of the brain show that something about the structural and neurotransmitter difference of those with an ADHD mind respond differently and more strongly to the idea of rewards. And so if this is you, I recommend that this evening or tomorrow morning or whenever you can find five minutes that you write down what heaven looks like for you and what hell looks like for you. Heaven is something you're running toward. It's the best case scenario that you can imagine in the next year. It's the best way that you could picture your life if you were picturing the life of somebody that you liked and that you were taking good care of. And hell's directly the opposite. It's the thing that you're running away from. It's the worst case scenario, the thing that's going to happen if you keep up your bad habits and you don't focus your attention and you don't control your impulses and you let the distractibility of life get the better of you. Spending some time writing these things out and creating a well-fleshed-out picture of what heaven really looks like and what hell really looks like for you gives the ADHD mind something to tantalize the reward centers with. Hey, if you don't straighten up, mind, this is the way things are going to go for us. And hey, 
If you do keep on task and you do do these things on our schedule, then this is what life could look like for us. It's a little unorthodox in terms of goal setting, I know, but it's how I coach clients in my coaching program to identify their health and fitness goals, and I believe it could have profound ramifications for those suffering from impulsivity, distractibility, inattention, and hyperactivity. Now that might be a little intense for a child, but they've got great imaginations. You could end each day with the simple exercise of saying, what's the best thing that could happen tomorrow for you? And then asking them, what's the worst thing that could happen for you tomorrow? And leading them through how they might plan their day around making the best happen and staying away from the worst things. In ADHD or not, I'm inclined to think that that could be a powerful practice for any child. But don't take my word for it. Give it a shot. And so there you have it. Exercise in the Brain Part 3, how exercise does affect attention deficit and hyperactive disorder, or as we called it here, attention different and hyperactive disorder. Wherever the symptoms of ADHD come from, it's important that those of us who identify either ourselves or our children as struggling with distractibility, inattention, impulsivity, and hyperactivity, that we learn how to utilize nutrition, lifestyle, and exercise to get the best out of ourselves, and if possible, Reduce the need for medication of stimulants like Adderall and Ritalin that haven't been studied for the long term and create some really frustrating side effects for us. If nothing else, perhaps, some high-intensity exercise, some resistance and skills-based training, some supplements like theanine, omega-3, bacoba, some essential oils, a normal schedule, balanced blood sugar, modified meditation, and identifying your heaven and hell can significantly reduce the need for stimulants to create the focus and control in your life that you hope for yourself and your kids. This has been Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. Now that I've focused really hard for the past hour, I'm going to reward myself with some Gabriel playtime. Until next time, guys. Kick butt. Take names. The free practical advice and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of Better Daily. If this episode has been helpful to you, share it with someone in your life you know it will benefit. Then subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value Defining Dad Bond has brought to your health and fitness journey. Finally, if you're struggling for betterment, don't do it alone. We all have a cross to carry, and it's lighter when we do it together. Go to definingdadbond.com slash better daily to get supported, challenged, and inspired to take yourself to the next level. Who knows who we can be? if we could become 1% better every single day. Go to definingdadbod.com slash better daily today. That's definingdadbod.com slash better daily.